Welcome to episode 62. I'm Scott Sturman, and I'm joined by Matt Deitch. Matt, how you doing? Doing pretty good today. Yourself? Oh, I am doing excellent. Uh, we got a really cool video, or really cool video. What in the heck is wrong with me here? Yeah, we no got kidding. a really cool episode with a really cool guest. Uh, our buddy, big league buddy signer from Pierce, South Dakota. Uh, buddy does the fish stories archive uh, on the internet. Anybody in the world that wants to record a fish story, you simply record it. You can upload it. Uh, I think if you're in the area, Buddy will even come out and uh, record it for you. And, uh, yeah, you know, just preserving Memories, fish stories. Right, for everything. Yep. Uh, we, we had a chance to, to – I, I met Buddy for the second, third time. Uh, Matt met him for the first time, but uh, he was one of our uh, – um, cabin mates cabin mates uh out at the hooked on Hardwater event and uh i'm sure we'll talk a little bit about hooked on Hardwater, talk a little bit about fish stories and uh yeah a little just bit kinda, about everything yeah just kind of hear what buddy's got to say so uh without further ado we're gonna get over to him and we're here today with buddy signer of fish stories buddy how you doing i am doing unbelievable scotty how are you unbelievable huh wow that's pretty good unbelievable well, we're just sitting here trying to be as good as Buddy, and yeah. I, if you're I, unbelievable, I don't know. We better step up our game. No doubt. Nope. You know, I saw you guys. I saw you guys last weekend. I could. I would call you unbelievable. Well, you would. <laughs> you would, huh? Absolutely. I thought it was unbelievable not to your, that. Not to, your, not to your face, of course, but. Right. I thought it was unbelievable that Craig decided that we needed to be in a cabin with you. That's what I thought was unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it worked out pretty well. We we had a good we had a good uh, rapport in our cabin. We did. You're dang right, it we did. It we was a lot, lot of fun. fun. So, buddy, to get us started off, uh, does pineapple belong on pizza? <laughs> I have never eaten pineapple on pizza, so yeah. that's another thing. You know, this is a backstory. We talked about things I've never done. I have never eaten a pizza with pineapple on it, and I will never eat a pizza with pineapple on it. It is uh, blasphemy in my mind, and. Uh, if anyone orders a pizza with pineapple on it, I will immediately unfriend them in, in all capacities and will sometimes just run out of the room crying. So the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the, the long story long short. Long story short. Course, no, pineapple does not belong on pizza. So you let me guess, Scott, you love pineapple on pizza. You know what? I, I used to, but I'm kind of going away from it now. But just knowing that it bothers you that much. I'm going to probably have a pineapple pizza tonight. Yep, just straight pineapple. You son of a gun. <laughs> <laughs> so, so no fruit at all belongs on pizza? or? Uh, you know, yeah, I, I would not put a fruit. I, I would not put any fruit on a pizza. Veggies are awesome. Uh, you know, throw as many veggies on a pizza as you can. But, uh, yeah, dessert pizzas, maybe. I'll, I'll give you that. If you want to do a dessert pizza, Pizza Ranch does a great dessert pizza. You can throw some fruit on there, but... Otherwise, just keep the fruit away from my pizza. I'll have it on a side dish. That's fine. I'll, I'll agree with that one. Okay, next question. How much money would it take for you to quit fishing? I, I don't think there's enough money out mm. there. That's probably a common response, I suppose. But We've never asked anyone we've that. Never, you're the first person we've asked that. That's a, that's a great question, uh, and I feel that would be a common response. I can't think of one angler who would give up fishing for any amount of money. Right, uh, but uh, fishing is worth so much more to me than any money can account for that I could not even give you a figure on that. Sorry, guys. Well, no, hey, that's that's fine by us. Good honest question or answer. Yeah, 
Now, buddy, uh, let's talk a little bit about you. Where did you grow up? I grew up in the Black Hills of South Dakota, where we just were last weekend. I grew up in Rapid City area, and uh, until about sixth grade, I was out. I was out in the Black Hills, so I had an opportunity to explore the lakes and the and the creeks and streams, and uh, the backcountry wilderness areas of the Black Hills. And it's probably my favorite place on the planet. And I've been to many places on the planet, and Black Hills always comes down to being on the top of my list. Uh, we moved to New Wonderwood, South Dakota, which is just east of Rapid City, about 20 miles. A small town of 600 people. I had uh, 12 kids in my graduating class, uh, and it, that was a great place to grow up, too. That was where I came out of my shell. I was a huge nerd in, in Rapid City. I didn't have any friends. Uh, you know, I liked to just do my schoolwork. I liked to go fishing on my own, and that was basically my life. And then I got to New Underwood and kind of just I made some friends. People didn't care what I looked like or that I wore sweatpants every day or whatever, whatever it was. And uh, and I made I made some really great friends. I, I came out of my shell a little bit. If I hadn't grown up in New Underwood, South Dakota, I would not be the person I am today. So uh, just the the Black Hills and that area in general is a special place for me, and I would hope to get back to there some point in my life. So now, what are like some of your early earliest fishing memories that you have? That's a great question. Uh, my earliest fishing memories are uh, they vary. It depends on it de- kind of depends on the facet of fishing that we're talking about. You know, when I was a little kid, my favorite memories were going out with my dog Sparky. <laughs> we had this little Welsh corgi mix mutt dog named Sparky and. And we'd go out fishing together, and we'd go out to Rapid Creek, or we'd go out to the Black Hills, and we'd catch trout. And whenever we, whenever we'd catch a trout, and we'd and we'd prepare it to be eaten, we'd we'd actually throw them back in the in the water. We'd launch them out about ten or fifteen feet, and Sparky loved to swim out there and actually fetch the fish and bring them back to shore. Really? So that that was our that was one of our favorite games as kids, just to watch watch that dog swim out there, find the fish. Sometimes sometimes he had to dive for it a little bit, and uh, and then he'd bring it back and bring it up on shore. It was one of his favorite things to do, and that was one of our favorite things to do as kids. Um, another one of my favorite memories is, is fishing in Rapid City down by the Rapid City Speedway. There's a, small, there's a small holding pond next to the Speedway that has that used to be full of massive common carp. And as kids, we would go down with our neighborhood friends. We'd go over there with just rod and egg sinker and a and an Aberdeen hook, and we'd go dig up some crawlers in the uh, in the garden, or some can- or find a can of corn in the pantry, and we'd go down to this this uh, pond by the racetrack, and we would catch gigantic common carp um, all day. And sometimes we would lose the battle, and they'd bust our line right by shore. And sometimes we'd even lose rods. Uh, to the uh, to the watery grave of this of this little holding <laughs> pond, but every single time we went, we'd get a good story out of it, um, and we uh, we made some really great memories in that uh, in that little that little holding pond. Unfortunately, someone had stolen a bunch of stuff from the homeowner who lived next to it, so they closed it down uh, just before I left town, probably. So I, I imagine there's not much fishing that goes on there anymore. I don't know, buddy. Uh, somebody stole a bunch of stuff, and then all of a sudden you left town. 
I, I'm not going to point any fingers, <laughs> <All> but. <right. laughs> hey, this has been on the down low for many, many years. Statutes of limitations. This is, you're going to get a new podcast out of this. We're going to use true crimes of fishing stories of the, That's right. of the dark. Now, buddy, you do some fly fishing. Were you doing a lot of fly fishing back then already, or is that something that you've kind of come into later? I really wish I had, Scott. When I was young, I was a really reserved kid, but I always wanted to be a fly angler. That was always intriguing to me for some reason. I'd seen people do it. My uncles had done it. And I just always wanted to, to get into that sport, but I was always afraid that it was kind of an elitist thing. I was always afraid that I had to know things and I had to have gear and I had to have everything right before I actually did it. And that held me back. That helped, that prevented me from actually getting started in the sport. And I really regret that. But uh, my uncle, my uncle Dwayne Tollister gave me a fly rod when I was probably 14, I'm guessing. And it was just a cheap little Berkeley cherry wood fly rod with a, the reel was actually one of those old school um, automatic reels where you push a trigger and it, and it reels the fly line in for you. Um, But that only, that only worked, uh, you know, few and it worked few and far between uh, in those instances. So I eventually uh, upgraded and he, Dwayne actually gave me uh, another reel to put on there uh, eventually and just started practicing in my backyard eventually went out to New Underwood Dam and started casting for crappies and bluegills uh, and perch with my fly rod. And then uh, in Wicksville Dam over uh, east of New Underwood would catch massive bluegills on my fly rod, just huge 10-inch bluegills. And um, and then eventually just kind of started going out on my own to, to creeks. But this was, I went to college, I kind of forgot about it a little bit, but then I kind of then I picked up fly tying in college. I found an old fly tying kit that my grandpa had when he was when he was around. It was a null fly tying kit, and it had very basic instructions. It didn't have any tools. It did have a vise and some hooks. Um, but I started tying flies and uh, found a YouTube creator by the name of David Camus who creates introductory fly tying videos, and he's from England actually, and he really he's the one that inspired me to keep my fly tying going and he helped me find out some small tricks to use to make it easier taught me about the tools that i needed to use to make it easier and without him i'm not sure i would still be doing that today i probably would have gotten into it at some point but uh anyway that so that started it um i just kept it going from there i started exploring branching out with with species and I never, I never thought trout were the only thing I could catch on a fly rod. I've always pursued other fish species, and I know a lot of people think trout immediately when you think fly fishing. They think a river runs through it, Brad Pitt standing on a rock. But I've never, I've never been uh, held to that small parameter of what fly fishing is, I guess. And I think that's really helped me explore the sport and really helped me appreciate the sport uh, so much more over the years. So. Uh, yeah, long, really long answer to your question is, no, I have not always fly fished, um, but I have always appreciated fly fishing, and it is my favorite form of fishing today. Now, buddy, you, you live up in Pierre, South Dakota now, and, and with that fly rod, you do some white bass fishing in the spring, or is that not with the fly rod? Oh, absolutely with the fly rod, and, and I've, there have been many days where 
the shoreline is is just lined with anglers pitching jigs and minnows, and there's boats out fishing off the point with jigs and minnows, and I will be the only one catching white bass on a consistent basis with that fly rod. Um, white bass fishing is one of my favorite favorite things to do with a fly rod. Uh, of course, we catch we catch everything here in Pier. We catch walleyes, uh, big crappies, white bass, big smallmouth bass. I love catching smallies on the fly. Um, catfish is one of my favorite uh, fish to catch, uh, channel catfish. We've got catfish that are around uh, 8 to 12 pounds, I'd say, in Pier. But uh, you get them on a fly rod, and it's just a, it's just a hoot. Uh, northern pike, we've got one of the best northern pike fisheries in Lake Oahe, just north of us. And 2020 is going to be a banner year for giant pike coming out at Ice Owl. It's going to be unbelievable. Uh, so there's a lot of species I can chase with my fly rod. And it's funny when I'm standing on the shoreline, you know, casting a fly <laughs> to, uh, to whatever it may be. Uh, I, I can't even tell you how many times people have come up and said, hey, I didn't, I didn't know there were trout here in in pier in the Missouri, <laughs> uh, well, I didn't know you could fish for trout here. And I said, you know, you don't, you don't have to just be fishing for trout. So <laughs> that's the beauty of the fly rod. But uh, it's uh, it's catching on in pier. We just held a fly tying clinic uh, recently, and we had 13 participants in our fly tying clinic. We did it one day each week for four weeks, and and we're super pumped to get them out to try their new flies. We're going to get them out white bass fishing here coming up in May and uh, hopefully create some more fly fishing enthusiasts here in central South Dakota. Very nice. Now, how big is the window, uh, like, when those white bass run? Because that, that's what it is, right? I mean, there's a little window where there's a week or two or three that, that all of a sudden that's really when the fishing's good? You know, you can get uh, – so most most people think, you, you, you know, you want to fish for them during the spawn. They're up, they're up in the shallows. They're really aggressive. Uh, and they will basically just, they'll basically take anything they can, they can find. And I think that window is relatively short. And that, that usually happens when that water reaches about 55 degrees. So it's really weather dependent. Um, those fish will begin staging early on, uh, even under the ice. Sometimes they'll start to congregate in, in areas where, where spawning might occur. And when that water reaches 55 degrees, though, it, it really, it really turns on for a little while. But those fish are going to stick around and they're going to chase bait fish all spring and and that doesn't and all summer and all fall so those fish are gonna those fish are constantly on the feed um throughout the year it's just in the in the spring it seems you have a better opportunity to find large schools of fish and you have a better opportunity to find really aggressive fish that are that are willing to take but you can catch them pretty much all year uh april mid-april i'd say to maybe mid-june is probably the best time, or late June is probably the best time to catch white bass in Pierce, South Dakota, and many other lakes in you know northeast South Dakota. It's a very similar deal. Mm-hmm. You'll find huge schools of white bass in late May and early June. I mean, fifty to a hundred fish per school, and you'll see them cruising the shallows looking for bait fish. And you cast what? Let's say you cast a fly out there, and I cast a little deceiver out, and it's down about a foot under the surface, and I'm just darting it back and forth, back and forth, and all of a sudden fish just come up and start darting at it. Our water's crystal clear here, so you just watch the whole thing happen. And that's a pretty special thing for me. Uh, and eventually a fish is going to come up and eat it. You just don't know when. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, that sounds, oh, yeah. sounds pretty crazy. Because those things fight, I, I'm assuming. Yeah, they do. And, and you know, our, our, our fish size, I guess, varies. 
uh, from year to year. Some it seems like some years we'll have some really small fish, and some years those those fish are going to be nice and nice and large. So the last few years we've we've been seeing larger fish. I'm not sure when that uh, trend is going to start to go down, but and that happens with all species. You get those year classes up there that um, that just have that have uh, those have those good genes, and they've been eating really well. The, the conditions have been right. And uh, and they're big and hardy, so yeah, white bass they fight like no other. And uh, sometimes you can get those big two two and a half pounders that just that just will pull you like a tow truck, and it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Now, buddy, you've got a really cool deal going. Uh, it's, it's a little bit different than what me and Matt got going here, but you've got fish stories. Uh, tell us exactly what fish stories is. So Fish Stories is the first online platform that's dedicated specifically to preserving angler voices and um, the voices of fishing enthusiasts. It's a free thing for people. So my, the, the, my goal with Fish Stories has always been to, uh, to encourage and inspire people to get out and record the voices of anglers they care about and keep them around for future generations. Um, you know, the one, the one reason that I think it's important, and the work that you guys do and a lot of other podcasts out there are doing is super important, but one thing I think is being missed out on a lot of times are the voices of just regular people. You know, podcasts and in general like to focus on the really important people the, the people who are making great impacts in the world, people who are inspiring and, and have big followings, and I think that's great. But I think about all of the individuals out there who have amazing stories to tell and have great advice and wisdom uh, and can really add value to the fishing industry, and their stories aren't being told and their voices aren't being recorded, and I, and I feel uh, that's, a, that's a detriment to our industry. Uh, we need to keep those voices around for a long time and uh, ensure that the that future generations have them to listen to. So that's really the goal of Fish Stories. And, Scott, you hit it on the, on the backside of one of your previous episodes, I think it was 61, that, you know, this is important not just for fishing but for everyone. Right, you talked right, about yeah. your, your grandfather and all the stories he had, or maybe it was your great-grandfather. No, nope, my grandfather, uh, yep. Yeah. Your grandfather, yeah, and, and all the stories he had and all the experiences that he went through. And, and you think about, you know, he, he might not have been someone that everyone knew, but those stories could still are still so important for people to hear <laughs> and right. so important for us to hold on to, uh, even, if they're, even they're, if they're just important to a couple of people. You know, that's still, that's still valuable. So the idea of Fish Stories uh, is to help preserve some of those voices, some of those anglers that we care about, and just keep their legacies alive for a long time. Yep. Um, I've got my dad's voice in there. And, uh, you know, after he passes away, uh, it's going to be pretty great to be able to sit down with my kids and let them listen to their grandpa because every time they hear his voice, their 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 eyes just light up and they get a big smile and they say, "Hey, it's grandpa!" And I say, "That's exactly right." Right. And so we even listen to him. We listen to his stories even though he's still alive. We still listen to some of the things he's talked about on there. 
And, uh, and so that's, I, I do think it's really important, and I hope that uh, people will take advantage of it. It's a, it's a really great opportunity. Yep. Oh yeah, for sure. We had my grandpa on one of our episodes, early episodes, and it's just great to go back and look at that. We actually recorded it with video too, so we got both of them. But yeah, I'm thankful that we have that because he has all kinds of great fishing stories. Right, and it's one of those deals. When it's gone, it's gone. Right. You know, I mean, you you know, you you know that, buddy. But I mean, 25 years from now, you can't go back and and get something like that back. You know, you, you got to do it while you can and and. I, I appreciate that you're taking advantage of it and that you're, you know, letting anybody, everyone, you know, you could be driving down the road and the guy, you know, on the street corner might have the best fishing story ever known, but you don't know that unless you ask him, you know what I mean? And that's kind of the hardest part. Matt, I was going to ask you what, you know, how did you, how did you ask your grandpa to do that? I just, you know, just got a hold of him one day and asked if he'd be interested in sitting down and talking with Scott and I, um, just, kind of give some of his experiences throughout the years how fishing itself has changed you know in the t- i mean he's 93 years old so i mean mm-hmm. he's he's seen a lot of different things so just asked him if we could sit down and record it with him and he was more than happy to and actually my dad was part of it too and then off into the off into the side my grandma was even sitting there listening to it and she was chiming in with some of the answers kind of keeping grandpa in order so <laughs> it, was, it was kind of like you know for me to have you know, my grandpa and grandma and my dad all sitting there and just listening to them. Because like you say, you know, my dad and my uncles tell some of my grandpa's stories to us sometimes. But to hear it from grandpa, I mean, you can't change from the person who actually experienced it. And yeah, it's that's kind of how we got around to it and thank, very thankful for it. Right, buddy, that, that would be a good opportunity for you to come down here sometime. Come fishing with me and Matt, but then take a trip up to Ellsworth, Minnesota to where the Deitch headquarters is, because <laughs> uh, fishing is a way of life in the Deitch family. Uh, you, I mean, you better you better put some extra memory in that computer because they can go for a while. Well, I think my favorite part about that one was was my grandpa talking about like when he first started fishing. Licenses were like you know I don't even know if they're a dollar or something like that. And then now he find, when he finally reached ninety in the state of Minnesota, you get a free fishing license. So he's now he's his joke is he's starting to get his money back from the <laughs> Minnesota DNR. <laughs> Yeah, well, I really what I really appreciate about that, Matt, is that you took the initiative to ask them to do that, and not a lot of people are willing to do it. But on the back end, you know, one of the things I hear more often than anything, to be honest, is I regret not doing this. I regret not talking to my grandma or to oh, my grandpa sure. more. I regret not sitting down and recording with them. So what's happening is people aren't willing to take that first step, and it's you know you. I hope you'll say it might it, it might feel a bit difficult at first. You might want not want to inconvenience them or you know you're not sure if they're going to say yes or no, but once you do it, it it's really not that bad. Right. All right, and I so think that's, Yeah, I think a lot of people start thinking that it's going to be a difficult situation or difficult to do it, and then they just start realizing that oh, all we're doing is talking like we would normally talk, it's just getting recorded. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'm hoping that, you know, this is, uh, this is something we don't want to have any more regrets. Right. You know, I want, I want everyone to just say, gosh, this is, and, and, and it's going to be, it's the, the impossible thing is for me to go everywhere and record everyone. Right. That's the, that's yeah. the impossible. That's the challenge. So, I mean, I'm, 
I'm on the back end. I'm working on an app that people can, you know, have on their smartphone that will make recording easier. But people can record on their phones anyway. You know, right. you don't have to have fancy recording gear. You just put start a voice memo on your phone and hold your phone like a mic, or even just set it on a table, and it will record really good audio. And uh, I don't think a lot of people understand that. And so my hope is ultimately that people will say, you know what, I am going to record. I'm going to record my my brother's stories today. I'm going to sit down and, and talk about some of his experiences, or I'm going to record my crazy uncle's stories. He's always got good ones. Right. And they, they'll just take the initiative. They'll make that call, just like you did, Matt, and just say, "Hey, would you guys be? Would you be interested in sitting down with me?" Um, it, it will. It'll take 30 minutes. 45 minutes, I don't know. But we're, we're just going to record a little bit and uh, talk about some of your life experiences in the fishing world. And then, you know, if people want to send it into the archive, that's great. Um, it'll be there. It's hosted there forever. And uh, it'll be available. And you can search for names and places and all that good stuff. But otherwise, just keep it on your keep it on your hard drive and share it with your friends. It, it's, uh, it's, it's just as good um, that way. But... Um, the, the archive allows us to share it a little bit easier with the, with the world. So, Right. Now, how long have you been doing this, buddy? Three years. This is just, just started three years, I guess, or just over three years now. So uh, the, the early on, I made a lot of mistakes and still making mistakes, unfortunately. So <laughs> I'm trying to learn as I go and uh, just trying to get the word out and to find partnerships and to uh, create excitement in the industry. I've been really fortunate to meet some amazing people in the fishing world who are helping to, to talk about the archive and to helping to promote it. Uh, and everyone I've run into has been so supportive and, uh, and excited about it, which I really appreciate. I've had uh, a few organizations jump on and support the archive, which is, which is beyond my wildest dreams. Uh, most recently, uh, Hagen's, fishing in Mitchell, South Dakota asked if there might be partnership possibilities and they signed on as a sponsor of the fish stories archive, uh, which I'm super pumped about. They're going to help spread the message of the archive, um, through, you know, distributing their products and, uh, and I'm going to help promote their, their brand and help them sell more stuff. And, uh, but they do, they believe that it all starts with them believing in, the archives, they want to support the fishing industry. They want to give back to the fishing industry. And that's what I really appreciate the, about the Hagens family. They're just, they're all about giving back. They're, they're a great group of people and, uh, and they're doing really great things right in Mitchell, South Dakota of all places. Uh, I don't, I never would have guessed it. And I, I'm really proud to have them on board as a, as a partner. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Now, buddy, there has to be some sort of story that that one day you decided, hey, man, this is what I got to do. This is, you know, this is a cool opportunity, whatever. You know, I don't know if, if someone in your family passed away and, and you looked at it like, man, I wish I would have done that or or some, somehow you saw a need. What? How, how did that happen? Yeah, good, good question, Scott. It was 20, let's see here, it was 2011. Um, my my grandpa died and so we used to visit my grandpa he lived in spearfish south dakota he was a stubborn norwegian farmer rancher um didn't have a lot to say uh but i remember as a kid we'd go out on spearfish creek and he'd (laughs) 
you'd have these knee-high boots on or, you know, knee-high waders or leg waders, I guess. And we'd be fishing these crystal clear waters of Spearfish Creek with a split shot and a marshmallow. <laughs> That's what we used for bait. And we didn't always catch a lot of fish, but that didn't matter, I guess. We threw, you know, we'd skip rocks and we'd have a good time anyway. Um, but uh, one thing I always appreciated about Grandpa's, we'd, I'd go visit, once I got into college, I'd go visit by myself whenever I got out that way. And we would just sit at his kitchen table and we'd, we'd chat. And like I said, he didn't have a lot of things to talk about usually. <laughs> so what he did was he would keep magazine and newspaper articles that were specifically about fishing. And when we kind of started to run low on things to talk about, he would go get some of these articles and he would just show me some of the things that he was reading about. And, you know, I didn't get a lot of these magazines and, and newspapers that he got. So I was always in awe, you know, we're reading about these awesome stories from all around the world. And then it gave us just some time to, to bond and talk about fishing. And I know, I know he didn't really appreciate those articles as much as he knew that I would appreciate them. And I'm convinced that he kept them around just for when I would come to visit. Um, of course, he was kind of a hoarder too. So maybe, <laughs> maybe he kept them around anyway, but um, I know he knew exactly where those things were at. So I know he kept them in a special place, but um, that was always something I missed. You know, when he, when he passed away, I just missed going and sitting down and chatting with him. Um, I wrote a paper about him in high school, about his time in World War II, and I didn't record any of it. I just, I just wrote it, and I kind of missed hearing those stories. And he told some really great stories about his time in the in the uh, in the war, and uh, and he told great fishing stories too. And I just missed hearing those. So for the longest time, I gosh, it was three or four years. I just kept saying, you know, someone needs to create a place for people to just record their the people they care about just to record anglers and to record fishing stories. And I just kept saying, you know, someone's going to do it eventually. It just needs to happen. Um, because that was, I was, always thought about grandpa. I always thought about going to this place. And then finally, it was 2016. I finally just said, gosh, no one's going to do it. Why, why don't I just do it? So, uh, that's kind of how it started. And I didn't, <laughs> I didn't really do it the right way. Again, I, I didn't want it to become just a, a, a side thing that I could easily just, brush off if it didn't work i didn't want that to happen so i actually just quit my job and started doing it full time that's that, what i'm uh, talking about that's right yeah that was not the best decision in the world but it's um it's starting to show promise <laughs> i guess I, three years later it's really starting to show promise and people are still excited about it and things are still going to evolve as time goes on but uh, I'm, yeah, I'm really excited about what the future holds for this archive and for voice recording in general. I think it's not, not just anglers we need to appreciate, but heck, everyone has a great story to tell. We just need to preserve the people we care about and keep them around for a long time. Absolutely. Sure. So how many people have you recorded? That's a good question. I don't really know exactly. I have 420 stories in the archive. Oh, wow. Well, we know you can only count to 10, so. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I usually just make stuff up all the time. <laughs> so, but a lot of those stories, you know, I've, a lot of those stories are from the same people, you know, so I'll have one person that has told seven stories in there. So I don't know exactly how many individuals are preserved in the archives, 
I just know that it's not enough. You know, there's 42 million anglers in the United States alone. Uh, so there should be 42 million voices in that archive. If yeah. I, in an ideal world, if I had my way, I know that's not necessarily feasible, but that's what I want it to be. So, um, it's a start, I guess, right? 400 oh, yeah. better than none. Hey man, yeah, Rome, right Rome wasn't built in a day. You're doing a good job that's so exactly far. exactly right. So that's exactly right. You know, buddy, with this fish stories, uh, uh, you've had a lot of really cool opportunities uh, open up for you, uh, and you actually got to travel to Kazakhstan with uh, the Team USA ice fishing team, correct? Yeah, that's correct. I did. I actually, uh, I actually, it was a kind of a three-part deal. I went to tryouts with them as well, uh, and I, I actually participated. I didn't fish, but I just kind of was present for the tryout to learn more about it. I had never heard of this world championship ice fishing before. I had no idea. And then when I found out that it existed, I thought, well, United States, we've got the best ice anglers in the world, right? We've probably dominated that. Well, it turns out that's not the case. Uh, in fact, we're pretty, pretty poor on the international level in terms of ice fishing because it's a completely different game. So I really, I learned a lot about the sport, um, learned a lot about other countries and, and their fishing practices was unbelievable to me. And, and then, yeah, going overseas, we went to Kazakhstan for the world championships and, uh, it was an amazing experience. So it's just something that, uh, I was completely unaware of before I started doing this and was blown away by, uh, the depth and breadth of that of uh, that sport when I actually dove into it. Now, where were those tryouts? The tryouts were held in Rhinelander, Wisconsin. Yeah. And they hold them, you know, usually at the start of the year, you know, like February or March, I guess, typically. And anyone can really go and do it. Uh, I think it's 50 bucks to enter the competition. Uh, it's a three-day deal. Um, and you kind of go, you go up for a rules meeting, then the next day there's a couple of heats. So each heat you participate, they set a zone out, and you're just trying to catch as many fish as possible. The faster you can catch fish, the better, because that's the international way. You want to just catch as many fish. There's, it's a, it's a weight deal, but sometimes overseas you're catching, all you're going to catch are small fish. So the idea of catching as many as possible really comes into play. Um, so you're talking really heavy jigs, really tiny, tiny jigs, and they use palm rods uh, on the international <clears throat> scale. It's just faster than normal, traditional ice fishing tackle. Not a lot of people have experience with palm rods, but they're super fun to fish with. Um, I've caught some really nice fish with palm rods just around here. Um, so, yeah, they, they do the, the heats, and then if you place first in your heat, you get one point. The fewer points you have, the better. Uh, if you place 10th, you get 10 points. So that's not good. And that's the same way they do it on the international level. Uh, so they really keep those tryouts as close to, um, as close to competition, uh, as they can. They basically practice how they play. And, um, it was a really fun experience. And I did, and I did, I did do two audio stories about the tryouts and explaining how competition works and, and basically explaining the world championship of ice fishing and, and how that, uh, how that kind of relates to what those guys are doing. So, 
Um, those are on the archive, and people can listen to them. I haven't really put out any audio from the championship yet in Kazakhstan, which I, I regret. Uh, I'm just not sure how to put it out there yet. So I, I will get it out there eventually. I just need to get it done. Right. Now, now these people aren't running out there with Vexlars, fish finders, and whatnot. Like, uh, dive into that a little bit, buddy, because uh, you know I, I think everybody up here on the ice belt, you know, assumes that you go out there with your, you know, with your eight-inch auger, you drill a hole, you drop your Vexlar in, and and you know you drop down a, a regular long rod. Well, you already dipped into the fact that they that they run a palm rod. Uh, but there, there's no fish finders neither, correct? No gas-powered augers, no electronics whatsoever. They are allowed to scout the area prior to competition. So in Kazakhstan, for example, they had some of the, they had some of the, the, uh, oh, what do you call them? So there's there's anglers and then there's spotters. So some of the spotters would go around during during the practice sessions. And they can actually use electronics to find the depth around the zones. They can't necessarily go in the zone, hmm. but they can kind of show what depths are around to give the anglers an idea of where they want to start the next day. But during competition, yeah, you cannot use electronics. You can't use gas-powered augers. So they're using these usually four-inch uh, hand augers that are super fast. Um, but in Kazakhstan, they were the, the the lake that they were fishing was right next to an industrial plant, so there was soot ingrained in all of the ice it was just it was basically three foot of soot and and ice crystals and uh so after four or five holes those augers were really really dull and they kept having to to trade those augers out and, and get their blades sharpened which was which was kind of a, a crazy deal to watch um but the but watching them hand you know hand augers through three and a half feet of ice was pretty crazy too because they're going so fast these guys are just um, they're just well practiced at that at that art, uh, and then it's it's a lot of baiting techniques. You bait the bottom. You um, a lot of co- each country has their own concoction of ground bait, and that and the, you, Team USA is convinced that that's the that's the secret. It's those guys that <laughs> that have the ground bait figured out that uh, that win the competition, and then you use a lot of blood worms uh, for bait. Um, and uh, like I said, tungsten jigs, super heavy tungsten jigs, and super, super tiny stuff because uh, a lot of these fish are small. And really light lines, too. It's super light lines uh, that, uh, that they're using. So you got to be really delicate when you get a big fish on. But it's, it's quite, the, quite the deal. Pure skill. Yeah, sounds like it. Now, now is this a multi-day tournament? And, and how long were you over in Kazakhstan? They get they get they get a few days for practice, uh, so they get to kind of become accustomed with the lake and the fish species that are in there. So we did go over there early. I think we were over there for about seven days altogether. There's three days of practice. Uh, a lot of it is travel, of course. Uh, it really, just it takes a long time to to get over there and get back. But uh, three days for practice, and then the competition is actually two days. Okay. Um, of actual competition, but Kazakhstan was amazing because you know a lot of people think of Borat and stuff, and that was I've never seen that movie. That's <laughs> oh, thing oh yeah, done. right. Yeah, you wore the I've same thing out on the Borat. ice. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen Borat, but people talk about it all the time, and I can tell you that yeah, there's some parts of some parts of the community that we were that are a little bit run down and, and uh, they didn't look the nicest, but man. They do have some nice stuff over there. Everyone wears beautiful fur coats. 
everyone's driving a nice vehicle. Um, their hotel was, was unbelievable. It was super nice. They rolled out the red carpet for the ice anglers. They put on a really great um, opening and closing ceremony with music and dancing and amazing food. Uh, and the food was amazing the whole time. So, uh, and the, the contour of the land was much like South Dakota, or I was really flat. Uh, but I know they have other other parts of their country where they they hunt boars and they hunt wolves and there's there's a lot of variety over there and the people were super nice. Everyone we met was just was really kind and had no ill will toward us as Americans. Um, and all the comp- all the competitors were were super great. Um, Igor, I, I spoke with uh, the Russian Federation, the Angling Federation director. Igor Chenyakov, and he um, he talked about fishing as a as a thing that brings people together. Everyone has political differences, but when when it comes to fishing and all these guys come together, none of that matters. Right. It's just it's just camaraderie. It's just friendship. It's just fishing. And at the end of the day, everyone's just hugging and and laughing and crying together and trading jerseys with each other and trading other knickknacks from their countries. And uh, the friendships that they form in, the, in those championships is uh, beyond anything of my wildest dreams. I just, you know, you, you, you could travel the world forever and not build some of the friendships that these guys are collecting through their, awesome. their ice fishing travels. Yeah, it's a pretty cool deal. How many countries are represented for, during this? Typically, I think it's around 13 or 14. All right. Uh, when we when we were over there, I think there were thirteen countries. Uh, I, I I could be wrong about that, but um, sometimes there's more, sometimes there's less. I think it just kind of depends on where they're going and uh, and if the country has enough anglers to compete. So this year, for example, the original location where Team USA was planning to attend, and they had all their travel arrangements set up, the original location ended up having a streak of warm weather and they lost their ice so they couldn't host the competition so they changed the venue last minute and team usa couldn't couldn't make those arrangements so they couldn't make it work and so team usa didn't get to compete in the world championships 2020 so um, it's just tough luck but now i know jamaica has a uh (laughs) has a bobsled team do they got an ice team buddy Jamaica, we got a bobsled team. <laughs> I don't think they have an ice fishing team. Okay, um, they didn't make think it. Of a team. J- Japan has an ice fishing team. I was surprised about that. Yeah, uh, I, I believe they, that. They, yeah, they weren't over in Kazakhstan, but um, I was surprised by that. Mongolia has a really great ice fishing team. Uh, the the, the Nor- Norwegians and the, the Swedes have a great team. Um Gosh, there's, Ukraine has one of the best teams out there. Of course, Russia. The Russians are probably the the team to beat on an annual basis. Lithuania has a really good ice fishing team. Uh, a lot of these countries, they structure their 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 fishing federation in a way that breeds that breeds the best anglers. It's a very competitive structure. It's a ladder system. You have to you have to work your way up the ranks. It's almost like a military system in that if you win a tournament, you move up the rank. But if you lose at the next tournament, guess what? You're going back down again. Uh-huh. And they only let the best of the best, those individuals who have won championships and consistently win championships, they only let those guys and gals represent their country 
on the world ice fishing stage. And there are there are women who participate as well, which I was which I was uh, pleasantly surprised about. I thought that was really cool to see. Uh, a, it was a small contingent of ladies uh, fishing, but uh, they held their own for sure amongst all those guys. Very cool. Scott kind of runs his ice fishing circle that way too. You know, if, if I go fishing with him one time and don't do very well, he doesn't call me the next time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can I can imagine that. But he he does that because he's big league. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> he just doesn't want he just doesn't want somebody that can't catch fish out there with him. Yeah, sorry, buddy, you're never fishing with me again. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I outweighed you in first, and I only had eight of them. How about that? There was something wrong with that scale. I don't know what the heck was going on there. You only weighed eight, and you were out there all day long fishing. Eight. We fished for like an hour. Yeah. Well, I was no. I fished. I fished from eleven thirty until uh, three thirty. Yeah, you fished a lot longer than us. Huh. Yeah. We, yeah, I did. Yep. <laughs> well, I I caught I caught a lot of fish. I didn't keep any of those baby ones that you guys kept though. Mm, yeah. Oh, dirty those, dog. Those little ones that were in our bucket were yours. You snuck them in there when we weren't looking. All those four inches that you guys cleaned that night? Yeah. <laughs> now, buddy, uh, you know, we talked about it earlier that you were in our cabin uh, out there in the Black Hills, and, and now you're bringing it up here with Craig Teason Memorial Tournament. But, uh, you know, obviously uh, you were also a pro in the Hooked on Hardwater event with me and Matt and, and the 57 other guys. Uh, just just touch a little bit. Like, what does Hooked on Hardwater mean for you? This is this is my second year doing it, and uh, it's it's really hard to explain. I guess I'll I'll tell you a quick story that might put it into perspective a little bit. So I had two boys again this year, which was awesome. They were older kids, uh, and Jerry and Dijon. And one of my favorite parts is just getting to know the kids a little bit and bantering with them. Uh, so we you know we talk about a lot of different things. You know, like you guys, you guys ask great questions on this, and I love to ask questions of these kids just to kind of get their minds rolling and to hear what they would say. But one of the kids, Jerry, he surprised me on Friday, and he asked me what he asked me what my favorite candy was, and it kind of took me aback a little bit. And I said, "Oh, okay, well, it's Skittles. Thanks for asking." And then we talked about candy with everyone at the table, and didn't think anything else of it. So we had a great night that, that on Friday night. Saturday we get out on the ice, and those those boys get into the hub, and I've got all the holes drilled. We're ready to drop down some some jigs, and Jerry he says, "Hold on, before we get started." He pulls out a big bag of Skittles from his backpack that he bought at the gas station that morning at five o'clock in the morning, wow. and he gave them to me as a gift. And I thought, you know, <laughs> I didn't really know what to say. I didn't. I wanted to give him a hug, but I didn't know it was okay. And, you know, a little tear comes to your eye and you think, oh, these kids are just, they're just good dang kids. And just to be able to have an opportunity, they're giving their time as much as we're giving our time. Right. You know, to go out on the ice with us and and show us a good time. And this is an escape for me. And it probably is for a lot of people. It's just a great opportunity to get out in the Black Hills and, and cleanse your soul a little bit. And these kids just kind of help with that, I guess. They help put things into perspective for you. They help keep you grounded and keep you humble. Um, and uh, and they really um, make you feel good about yourself. It's a really fulfilling experience, I guess, if I was going to say anything about it. Yeah. So no, a- that was my experience this year. 
Yeah, no, I think everybody thinks that we're doing it for them, but I think they're doing it for us just right. as much, you know. And I've heard that from all the all of the pros. And I don't consider myself a pro fisherman anyway. By the way, I don't. I don't. Uh, <laughs> I just consider myself a guy who likes to fish. And I'm, if I can help out in this capacity, I mean, sign me up every single time because it's such a great experience. And and the guys had a great time. The fishing was a little bit tough, but we caught twenty some fish and and threw snowballs at Scott and uh, had a great day. So mm. uh, if you can't you, you can't really ask for anything better than that. That's right. <laughs> well big league buddy before we let you go uh if, if if any of the listeners here are interested in uh finding fish stories uh what what outlets are you available at well you can so the, i use the podcast to highlight one story a month i don't really use that a lot uh but you can find the fish stories podcast on any podcast platform um otherwise the best thing to do is just go to fishstories.org if you want to hear a story about walleye, just type in walleye and see what comes up. If you want to hear a story about about uh, Iowa, type in Iowa, see what comes up. I've interviewed a lot of people from all around the country and uh, all around the world. You can hear Russians, you can hear Ukrainians, um, uh, Norwegians are in there. There, there's Australians. So um, just just check out fishstories.org. And the biggest thing I want people to do is call someone right now, today, call someone that you care about in the fishing world and say, hey, just do what Matt did. Hey, do you want to sit down for a beer and chat for a little bit? I'm going to bring my phone along, and I'm just going to push record if that's okay. And they're going to say, okay, whatever. And just ask great questions, you know, and, and then use those ears, man. Turn those listening ears on and just and let them go anglers are pretty unique that if you don't have if you have if you don't have trust build up you ask them what their favorite fishing story is they're going to say you know what i don't really have a good story they're really humble not many people know that but if you if you have a rapport if you have trust and you say grandpa what's your what's your favorite story or who's your who's your favorite fishing buddy who are your mentors growing up um it's like putting a quarter in a machine they're just going to keep going so any chance you can get to do that, I would say do it. Do it right now. Don't regret it. Don't wait till tomorrow when it might be too late. Right. Just call someone, record it, push just push the record button. It's super easy. And then just send it just send me an email with a file or upload it to the archive at fishstories.org. You can upload it directly there on your phone. And uh, and put in the keywords that you want to rem- so you can search for it later and you're good to go. It's a free deal. There's no excuses to not do it. Um, and my hope is that other people will do it. I'm going to continue to do this. I'm going to continue to record people. I'm going to continue to find stories from regular people and put them on the archive. And uh, I just I would appreciate everyone's help in 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 doing this because it's about the it's about the industry. It's about future generations of fishing, and it will only make our sport better, and it will only help it grow. No, no. Just one more question here, buddy. Uh, you okay. know, you said, uh, hey, uh, you know, call up your buddy, tell him to come on over, have a beer with you, and talk fishing. Well, what happens if your fishing buddy is something kind of like you with a potty mouth? Uh, do, <laughs> do you uh, do you uh, let the uh, do you let the four letter words fly on fish stories, or do we try to keep this G rated? So that's the that's the great thing about the archive is that is it's an internet based platform. 
uh, I think I'm a true believer in in not censoring an angler. Right. <laughs> you know, a, an angler's voice is is special in its own right, but it's also their cadence. You know, their their inflections and and the words that they choose to use. That's just who people are. You know, people don't put up a put up a smoke screen. You can put up a smoke screen and not say those words, but that's not completely genuine, then, is it? Right. You know, I fish stories. I want it to be genuine. I want the people to be on there as they want to be remembered. So, if that's who you are, and if you're not ashamed of throwing a four-letter word out there on occasion, I do do it sometimes. I'm not very often. I will yeah. not as often. All the Scott time. <laughs> Scott makes you believe that I do it. <laughs> excuse me, all the time, but. I want these. I want these stories to be genuine. I want people to be remembered for who they are, and I want them to be able to leave a legacy through this through this site. And if it if it includes curse words, so be it. Throw them on there. That's okay. No, I I 100% agree with you, buddy. Uh, you know that. There's just certain people and certain stories that, you know, when they really get excited and they start start letting a few <laughs> drop, you know, that just kind of adds to the story. Yeah. Absolutely, 100%. And I, and I come to appreciate that. Some people get offended by it, and if you do, you do. Uh, I, uh, there's nothing I can do for you. Um, but you just uh, you sometimes just got to roll with the punches and, and find appreciation for people for who they are. Yep, absolutely. So, buddy, uh, you know, big league, buddy, we really appreciate you being on. Uh, I hope that our listeners, uh, you know, kind of got a glimpse of, of who you are and what a dirtbag you are. And <laughs> I'm just kidding. But Far from it. No, no, buddy, you're a top-notch dude. And, and I, I hope that uh, our listeners hear about you because, uh, you know, we kick out one episode a week and, and people have plenty of time to also listen to all the stuff that you kick out. Uh, I listened to a couple of your episodes uh, yesterday, I believe, at work. Um, two guys, one of them, uh, one of them worked for like the, I don't know, Sioux City Journal or, or something like that. I'm sure you know exactly which one it is. And uh, Larry, yeah, Larry Meyer and Gary Howie. Yeah. Oh yeah. And yeah. then and then the granddaddy of kayak fishing from down in Nebraska. And you know, I didn't yeah, know, I didn't know these guys at all. You know, I, I have no clue who they are. But but just you know, hearing them talk, it, it's it's really it's refreshing, you know, like you said, they, they don't have to be big leaguers like you to, to be on the show. And <laughs> I, uh, no, I, I just, I really enjoyed it. And I think that, uh, our listeners will also enjoy it. And I hope that they, uh, go over to your Facebook page or webpage and, and check you out. Yeah. And I, and I certainly appreciate you guys as well. Um, it was the first time getting a chance to meet Matt, but he, I love how he can, he at least brings you down a little bit. You know, you're always just, you're always your head's so big. You're big leaguing people. Somebody's got to keep kinda, him grounded. <laughs> he keeps him. He keeps you grounded, Scott. And I really appreciate that. But you guys are a great team. God, I the hope you're not. You guys. I hope you're not calling me an anchor. No. <laughs> He's <laughs> you're a plow. Not the anchor, Matt. No. <laughs> but you guys are such a great team, and your banter is is so fun to listen to. It's something I really come to appreciate in your in your guys' style. I can't listen to a lot of podcasts anymore. I. I, I wholeheartedly admit it that it's just hard for me to sit and listen to people because a lot of times they pander you know a lot of people just they'll sit down with someone influential and they'll just oh yeah 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 i agree with you i agree with you i agree with this i agree with that but you guys it's okay if you disagree on things it's okay if you disagree with someone else you just like well what do you think about this 
you know, ask an additional question. I think that's awesome. Instead of just running down a list of, well, I guess this is my next thing i got to talk about, you guys actually kind of explore different co- concepts and topics, and I think that's, that's pretty fun. So keep doing what you're doing, and I appreciate you guys for what you do. And hopefully we can get on the water and fish sometime in the future, and, and you guys can tell some of your fish stories for the archive. Definitely. Absolutely. Well, we appreciate it, buddy. Uh, you might be a big leaguer, but uh, we, we actually do like you. <laughs> I'm going to keep big leaguing you, Scott, as long as I live. <laughs> I believe that. I believe it. <laughs> you, just, you just stay ready for that. All right. Talk to you later, man. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, guys. There he goes, Buddy Signer of Fish Stories. Stories. That's pretty cool. I That whole archive, definitely go check it out. You know, you hear a lot of cool stories, and like he said, get a hold of somebody that you know that you that have a great story that you love to hear and record that thing because you never know when you're never going to be able to hear that story again. Absolutely. Uh you know what an original idea, an original concept. You right. know, I mean, he he uh he's not trying to make a show out of it, you know, like similar to to what me and you do. Uh you know, it 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 is what it is, you know. I mean, it's it's fish stories and uh you know, Buddy also, uh, I think I, I said that back uh, in the last episode, Buddy actually also just does, uh, you know, stories and asks questions, you know, non-fishing related, you know, just, uh, you know, if, if you had a grandpa or a dad or, or somebody who, you know, experienced something amazing and, and you just want to preserve that story, Buddy also does that. But, you know, I, I look back at, you know, us going up there and doing the Deitch Boys episode right. with your dad and, and with uh, your grandpa. And, you know, e- either somebody like Buddy or, or somebody like me, we need to get back up there and we just need to let the Deitch Boys banter for an hour <laughs> or two hours or three hours, you know, fry up some fish and just, just sit and chat, you know, talk fishing because... You know, like I said, none of us want to face it, but when it's gone, it's gone. Right. You know, that that's that's what it is. Uh, you, you can't bring it back. And, you know, Buddy kind of dipped on, you know, the fact that uh, maybe it, it, it can be a little hard on how to approach, uh, you know, bringing that up. But I don't think you have to say, like, hey, before you die, Grandpa, <laughs> you know, let's get this right. going. You know, just... You know, just bring it up and say, hey, you know what? You've got a lot of great stories. And, and uh, you know, I think most people are realists, you know, and, and they understand that story is not going to be there forever. And I don't care who you are. Somebody can repeat a story. Somebody can tell the same story that they've heard a hundred times. But hearing it from the person who was there. Right. You can't beat that. And, and, that, and hearing it from that person, you can hear it many a times and still that's what makes a great story is you can hear it multiple times and still just love the story. Right. I think, you know, I mean, like you said too, and it doesn't even have to be a story. Sometimes it might just be just hearing that voice. You know, I was, right. I talked to my aunt about this the other day, you know, my grandma Gertis passed away a few years ago and it's just like, sometimes you just, you just, you just miss their voice. And sometimes you just, if you could just have something, just, you know, you're having a bad day or something like that. And just to hear that voice, cause you know, you don't want to forget it. So, yep. When, you know, I mean, I think a lot of people did that with video cameras over the years, you know, whatever. And, and now, obviously, with the advancement of cell phones, you know, even video cameras, unless you're doing something, you know, that you're uh, going to put on TV or, you know, specifically do for YouTube, you know, everyone just pulls out a cell phone, takes a quick picture, takes a quick video, you know, and it is what it is. And, and those are something that a lot of people really keep close to their heart. But the cool thing about Buddy is 
you don't have to worry about storing it. You don't have to worry that if your phone drops to the bottom of the lake or, you know, if you lose your phone, whatever. I mean, Buddy's got this archived. I mean, it's out there. I'm sure he backs it up often, Uh, you know, and and anybody in the whole entire world can come and listen to it. And, and, you know, I'm sure if you want it private, I'm sure Buddy can, uh, you know, we'll work something out like that, you know, too. But, uh, no, I've, I've found myself listening to a few more of Buddy's stories now. And, uh, you know, they, they, it doesn't have to be Dave Gens. It doesn't have to be Jason Mitchell. It doesn't no. have to be Kevin Van Dam to tell a great it, fishing it story. Can, it can be the, the guy, the two old guys sitting in the back bay of Lake Pactola when you're walking off the ice, sitting there with no electronics, just trying to catch trout. Well, and you know, like I, I said that day when, when we ran into them dudes, like I love nothing more. I would love nothing more than to get a pot of coffee and just go and chum it up with them good old boys. You right. Know, I, I just, that, that's kind of my thing. I, I love hearing from different people. I, well, you know, even, even that is, if you think about it, these small town cafes are starting to go away and you know, you used to go down there and there'd be a group of old fellas and ladies even that sit around the coffee table and drink coffee for a couple hours and just tell stories. I mean, just tell it the way it is exactly <laughs> and you, you don't have that anymore nope. i mean everybody nowadays is hiding behind a screen or something like that to try to tell these stories or you know they're just i don't know they're, they're not experiencing the stories like they used to back then and, and it, it doesn't even have to be an older person it can be a younger person too there's some great stories that some of these younger ones have do you think that people don't think that their story is worthy of being told Sometimes I think people just don't think, well, I don't think that's a great, but like you said just a little bit ago, to somebody that story is Absolutely. a great story. Right, you know. And I uh, think it would be kind of cool to do that as like a school project. I mean, we still, kids in our school still do like autobiographies in eighth grade and they get up there and do a presentation uh, just to do like, that gets them out there and talking with that person. Uh, sometimes they do it on somebody that it has passed away, so... It's kind of secondhand stuff where if you could have this, you could have like that video clip in there, or not the video clip, but just the sound clip in there of that person. So people like, you know, you might be able to share that with a group of people. Absolutely. And, and, and I think everybody, everybody in the person being interviewed's family would probably treasure that for, oh, yeah. you know, forever. So, uh, no, uh, big shout out to buddy. Yep. Uh, you know, obviously as you guys hear, I uh, I give Buddy a lot of hell, and he gives me a lot of hell back. But that that is a top notch guy. I'm glad that I'm glad that we've met him, and and now consider him a good friend. Big league Buddy, you know, he just he, he just a big leaguer, plain and simple. <laughs> Did we tell the story why we call him why you call him Big League Buddy? That we got out to Pactola that day, and he just took off and left us. Yeah, he he apparently thought he had somebody way cooler than us out on Pactola and next thing you know hey yeah buddy let's go fishing oh where's buddy oh well, he's over I've never there seen somebody. somebody run that fast across the ice to get away from us you know what it is matt he knew we were better fishermen well yeah and he didn't want to be showcased up next to us well, i can highly i believe that yeah i'm surprised easily. more people don't big league us you know <clears throat> yeah whatever <laughs> i mean it, it, it's not a shocker Big league buddy, just big league and everybody. That's, that's what he does. Speaking of the big leagues. Speaking of the big the leagues. The granddaddy of them all. The Bassmaster Classic. This weekend, I'm pumped. Here we go. Fantasy fishing, uh, you know, going to be back in. Uh, it I starts on Thursday. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Yeah. Three-day no. tournament. Or does it start on Friday? Friday. Isn't there, how does that go? Don't they put an expo in there one of the days? 
Well, let me quick pull out the handy. Because Sunday, Sunday is the championship. Sunday is that they start with fifty, and oh, I, I thought in years past maybe that's just the Texas Fest I'm thinking about. Maybe it is Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Well, let me see here. Uh, we've the got, classic. We've got tournaments. All I know is that it's the Bassmaster Classic this weekend, and I've been super excited all year long I, for I it. Need to figure, I need to figure it out here. Lake I, Gunnersville should be a good one. 50th Classic. 50th Classic. And uh, what do we got? March 6 through 8. So 6, 7, 8. Uh, let me quick pull up a calendar here. So we've that's got, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Oh, it is Saturday. Nope, nope, no, I'm wrong. <laughs> You're wrong. You're looking at February. Six, seven, eight, Friday, Saturday, Sunday of right. this coming weekend, uh, Bassmaster Classic. And and I've seen that they've released a couple odds, and uh, Midwestern angler Seth Fighter is at the Minnesota top. Minnesota boy. Yep. Uh, Seth Fighter and um, Chris Zaldane, I believe, are coming in with the best odds. Uh, right. I suppose they're thinking Zaldane's going to do well because he throws the big swim baits around, and Lake Gunnersville's got some big old bass in there so maybe yep. if he finds a good ledge that's holding bass he could do it yep well and both of them uh did not do very good down on the st john's river so right uh, looking for they, a re- little redemption yep i i listened to uh zaldane on bass talk live and they kind of interviewed him and and he flat out said he fishes best when he's pissed and he's pissed so well, yeah go crack him. I, I'd, I'd love to see him win it I, uh, you know there's a lot of good guys in there that'd be cool to see be cool to see former guest bob downey get after it down there you know it, it's anyone's game you know really, i mean if he is, gets onto some fish i mean he there, there's no reason why he can't win it that's the cool thing about the Bassmaster classic yeah did you uh did you see the videos on facebook and youtube uh that st croix rods put out what yep. about bob yeah that's pretty cool very cool I watched the first episode the other day yeah i think that's uh gonna come out one i, th- I think it's a six-part uh series uh about 15 20 minutes i think yep. each uh each video and and they kind of talk about you know bob being uh originally from minnesota now living in in hudson wisconsin <clears throat> going to the st croix rod shop signing on with st croix as well, a sponsor and the and first episode just talks about how he got on board with st croix Rod. yeah isn't that cool it, he fished this, with uh, the st croix guy in an open right at the at lacrosse last year yeah. they got paired for day two i think it was and yeah just got to talking and yeah no yeah. rest is history now yeah absolutely but uh, no, so we are really looking forward to uh, the Bassmaster Classic because get those fantasy <clears throat> rosters set. Yeah, I think we've got thirty-two guys in the league now. Dang right. I'm uh, I'm kind of thinking that this is probably the weekend where I kind of put a little separation between me and the pack. Yeah, you're gonna try to get up there and do well. Yeah, I hope that the separation isn't on the bottom of the pack. Well, one nice thing about it is going into this week, all your guys are gonna finish in the top fifty. <laughs> that's one way to look at it right there no so uh yeah basically if we can just keep jeremy k and Stu the noob from uh finishing up in the top i'm i'm basically happy with that uh you know i don't think we've mentioned jeremy k on the podcast for a while no we really haven't i don't know if his checks are bouncing in the sponsorship bin or what right. but he he still waved at us last week when we saw him when we got back from hooked on hard water yeah so. he kind of big league does you yeah, know he's kind did. of he a half, half i don't know if it was a wave or one fingered or what yeah, it was that's there. true i didn't i didn't see for sure but whatever either way jeremy k my neighbor yep Bass. last year's last year's fantasy fishing yeah picker of the year yep so 
All right. Well, I think uh, unless you've got something spectacular. Hold on. Hold on. Hold, hold on. on, Matt. Jeez. What are you trying to have hold a show up. for? Did you see the controversy in the kayak series? The no. Hobie, the Hobie uh, kayak series, I believe. I did not. I, think, I, don't, I, I believe it was the Hobie one. I don't think it was a KBF, but uh, I think the guy's name is Ron Champion, and uh, he's been a multiple-time champion, champion in the uh, kayak series. And uh, I, I actually listened to him also on Bass Talk Live, and he had a, a little bit of an explanation, said that it wasn't exactly what it looked like, whatever. But in the kayak fishing world, uh, uh, it all goes off your cell phone. You catch a fish. It all goes off length. You put it on a bump board, and um, right. and uh, you take a picture, and you submit it into uh, Tourney X app, which, uh, you know, whatever, has all your inches, whatever. Well... What uh, was happening was uh, old Mr. Ron Champion, and and I'm not saying it was what was happening, but in one specific picture, he had his uh, his measuring device kind of set up on the side of uh, side of his kayak, and then it kind of went down into his kayak with a real extreme bend on it, hmm. and he kind of had the nose of the fish up on uh, you know up we'll say on the side of the kayak. But uh, the fish was kind of floating on the measuring board. Ah. So, you know, with the bend in there, you can right. gain you can... an inch or two. That's right. And uh, Hobie actually had their, uh, you know, their uh, media team out there taking pictures or whatever and uh, caught it. And then I believe someone like on Facebook or the Internet was like, whoa, hey, hey wait a minute here. And uh, he said that he had already, uh, you know, that that was uh, after after he had submitted whatever. But, you know, that's a catch and release deal. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. There's uh, really nothing, you know, I, just, I don't know. Just another reason why state record stuff should be on weight instead of length. I guess. You can bend those measuring boards. See, he, somebody must have been checking out our Facebook poll from the other that's what last week. And, uh Said, hey, that ruler doesn't quite look right. I agree with Matt on how we should go yeah. with records by weight and not Scott with records by length. Right. Well, uh, <laughs> in, in all these tournaments, it had been hog trough, the oh, hog yeah. trough, uh, whatever. And, and that's a, a plastic measuring device that uh, apparently can be bent. Right. And uh, so now basically all the kayak series have uh, said that they're, they're no longer going to allow the hog trough. Uh, there's like basically three measuring boards that are allowed, but uh, now everyone's basically going with the catch board, K-E-T-C-H, catch, catch products, and uh, it's a metal board that, uh, you know, obviously is not bendable or or as bendable and and that's what they're allowing now. But yeah, definitely, uh, you know, a little bit of drama in the kayak uh, bass uh the kayak bass tournament scene and uh you know that's that's still a relatively new uh deal you know i i think basically like 2005 is really when that kind of yeah. took off so you know there's going to be a lot of kinks and a lot of bumps in the road uh you know as as all these new organizations start uh doing kayak series and whatnot but uh yeah that that definitely is a big one especially you know kind of kind of like the astros in baseball you know exactly. when uh, <clears throat> when when the winning when the winning teams uh, or when the winning guy uh, kind of has yeah. something like that, it's like, oh, oh, now I get it. Oh, Mr. Champion better be careful this year. He might be getting some sinkers thrown at him. Yeah, could be, man. <laughs> could be. But no, we're, we're not saying he's guilty. We're just saying. And sometimes those things can happen. Like I said, there was a few years ago that there was this one measuring board. I can't remember what it was. Came out and uh, a lot of the walleye guys, local tournaments around here, had this board and it was, it was wrong. You had one job. 
to make a quality measure well, like them. sometimes I'm, you I'm, know though you know how those things go sometimes yeah all right well I'm no not excuse gonna, not gonna. i mean but i mean it's not like the angler you know everybody was blaming the angler like right. oh his no, fish were yeah, short yeah. it's like well according to his measuring board they were right right and I'm, so huh. i mean hopefully he didn't do it knowingly do it hopefully it was just one of those accidental things and boy i i would i would have a tough time believing that that's how he's uh done it for all these years right. but uh you know some I, people you never know with some I, people absolutely absolutely i mean look at us sometimes at tournaments when we get back to the ramp and stuff like that you're still measuring you sometimes you grab somebody else's measuring board if you got a close fish just to make sure right right well you know when it's got to be 15 inches and it's on 15 inches and it's right. like man you know uh you know you fan the tail and it you know goes a little bit over yeah no one you know everyone put in money everyone you know right. has got money on the line no one wants to you know no one wants to be labeled as a cheater right. you know and even you know even if you did it with all good intentions because you truly thought that you know yeah yeah hey looks like it's a 16th of an inch short wow right. son of a gun you know Sobe had that you know our past guest Sobe down at the Bassmaster open uh, down in florida here he uh he kept two fish and then when he got back he just did not feel comfortable with one of them so he ended up only weighing one fish and right. that can happen we've all been there if, if you've done any amount of tournaments at all you've had one of those fish that's right on the bubble and it's like man right oh so, yeah you're up there sweating just hoping right like, it's like it touched the it touched on mine hopefully theirs it touches on theirs yep so. yep so yeah okay well i kind of extended that a little bit longer i don't think i've got anything else so i'm gonna quick wrap this one up that is episode 62 we will see you next week on episode 63 see ya